Hi, I am Tingen, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to the Parents in Tech Book Club. In each episode, we summarize lessons and takeaways from two best-selling parenting books so that you can save time, get your dose of parenting advice, and get back to our families and careers. The theme for this episode is communicating with children. We look at two bestsellers. The first book was published in 1982 and has been called The Parenting Bible by many media outlets such as the Boston Globe. This book is none other than How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Adele Faber and Elaine Melzish. Fast forward three decades, the daughter of one of the authors, Adele, was inspired by her mum and wrote her own book, which is the second book we'll talk about today, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, A Survival Guide to Life with Children Ages 2 to 7, by Julie King and Joanna Faber. Joanna is the daughter of Adele, and more than 300,000 copies of her book has been sold to date. The two books complement each other very well, and when read in conjunction, they provide fantastic tools to help improve a parent-child relationship. They are very similar in content because they follow the same philosophy, although Joanna and Julie in their book provide more tools targeting kids with special needs. Both have sample dialogues, role-playing exercises, and cartoons that are both funny and insightful. If you're interested to practice the advice you have heard on this podcast, definitely do check those books out. You can also find this episode's transcript on the Parents in Tech website at www.parents.fm. So, what will we talk about in the next few minutes? Both Adele and Joanna's books focus on helping us as parents to communicate with our children. We will summarize the key takeaways across eight topics. Here goes. Number one, helping children deal with their feelings. Number two, engaging cooperation. Number three, alternatives to punishment and tools for resolving conflict. Number four, problem solving. Number five, encouraging autonomy. Number six, praising. Number seven, freeing children from playing roles. And number eight, when our child is suffering with autism or sensory issues. Let's dive in. Act one, helping children deal with their feelings. Both authors dedicate the first chapter to underscore the importance of acknowledging feelings. Children's conduct is influenced by how they feel, and by denying their feelings, it compounds difficulties. It teaches kids not to understand and trust how they feel. Instead, we can encourage them to deal with their feelings by describing their emotions through words, writing, art, fantasy, or almost silent attention. Both books stress the importance of giving a word to child's feelings. What this means is that when children go through a challenging time, whether it is self-induced or caused by others, it is difficult for them to think clearly or productively. That's why it's important for parents to put words to their feelings. For example, you can say, it sounds like you are angry right now. These types of responses, along with a loving attitude, invite a young one to examine their own ideas and feelings, as well as maybe come up with their own answers. Joanna goes further to suggest art as an alternative, drawing instead of talking. For example, when a child wants something in a store, you can write it down on the child's wish list and ask them to draw it out before buying it for them on their birthday. 
Besides words and art, one new tool I learned from the authors is called Almost Silent Attention. This is achieved by, while listening, letting out a sympathetic grunt or a physical reaction in our face to let them know they are being heard and that their feelings matter. This makes it easier for children to open up. Children are more willing to communicate if they feel like they're being heard. Act 2. Engaging Cooperation Moving on, we as parents need our children to do things and not to do things. What do I mean by that? For example, they should brush their teeth or eat their vegetables. This is called engaging cooperation. What is certain is that nobody likes being ordered around, especially kids. In Adele's book, she offers five tools which provide us parents directional guidance when kids do not want to be cooperative. Whereas Joanna builds on those tools and shares how we can enlist their cooperation. Let's have a look at what these nine tools are. Number one, be playful and turn a boring task into a game or a challenge. The initial thinking is, this is tiring and overwhelming. But it actually takes less energy to do this rather than have to deal with the whining and resistance when we give a direct order. Number two, offer them a choice. With this, children are given the autonomy and control they crave. For example, if the child doesn't want to go to the bath, you can offer your options. For example, do they want mummy or daddy to put them in the bath? Just remember to keep both options pleasant. Number three, put your child in charge. Delegate some of the decision-making and work to your child so he or she gets to be independent. You can define what needs to get done and let your child decide the details of it. Number four, give information. Instead of telling your kids, this is the rule and this is how it needs to be done because I'm the parent and I decide, you explain why. So for example, giving information about why it's so important to put our seatbelts onto the car. You explain that you are going to get fined by the police if you don't have your seatbelt on and it is for safety so they don't get hurt in the event of an accident. Number five, describe it with a word. Instead of lecturing them or going into it, just say one word, like seatbelts. Number six, describe what you see. Well, at times when a single word is not enough, try to describe the situation, but do so without adding a command or accusation. Number eight, describe how you feel. It's unrealistic to expect us as parents to be endlessly patient with our kids. We are humans, not robots after all. So you can help them by sharing about how you feel. In that way, children can relate and also feel that it's normal when they're upset or angry. And finally, build a wish list. All parents have experienced a tantrum when they take kids out and they want a toy or a candy. The parent says no and a tantrum happens. So instead of saying no, you can for example take out your phone and add it to a wish list. This works because they feel heard and that they're being listened to. And it also teaches them the important skill of delayed gratification. At the dinner table, if your kids are not happy with what they're eating, instead of being frustrated at what they don't want to eat, you can whip up your phone and say, let's make a list of all the things you'd like to eat and we can schedule that for the rest of the week. This is obviously something that's not easy to do because quite a few of us grew up without these tools, but it can be achieved. Pick one and get started practicing it today. Act 3. Alternatives to punishment and tools for resolving conflict.
Now what happens when parents have said and done all the right things, but nothing seems to work? The logical thing is to punish the child. There must be consequences. Our intent to find some way to make the child suffer or at least feel bad, it's in the hope that he or she will be discouraged from repeating such unacceptable behaviour. The problem is, a wide range of issues can develop when applying punishment, from fear and timidity to aggression toward other children. In other words, punishment, as both Adele and Joanna argue, doesn't address the underlying problem. In this regard, the two authors wrote a full chapter in their book. Adele calls this alternatives to punishment, and Joanna calls it tools for resolving conflict. Both encourage cooperation, autonomy, and self-confidence. When our child is not listening, it is better to solve problems in a healthy way instead of just punishing them. When we use problem-solving instead of punishment, we are truly modelling the attitude we want our kids to take when faced with conflict. This begins with changing our perspective. Adele shares that we should stop seeing our children in three ways. Number one, seeing our children as problems that must be fixed. Number two, seeing that our children are trying to take advantage of us. And number three, thinking that we, as parents, always know what's best for them. Instead, concentrate efforts on creating solutions that benefit both parties and show mutual respect. By providing our children with tools and encouraging them to participate in problem solving, we help them to reflect on their mistakes, consider how to correct them, and to do better next time. Here are some tactics that might help. Number one, point out a way to be helpful. Number two, express your feelings strongly, but do it without attacking their character. Number three, share your expectations or values with the child. Number four, show them how to make amends. I really like this because by giving children a way to make amends, it essentially gives them a way to restore positive feelings about themselves and their standing in a parent and child relationship. Adele says that remorse must come with a change in behaviour, and saying sorry is not enough. It's not an excuse to do the same thing again. Joanna also says that the best way to inspire your child to do better in the future is to give him or her the opportunity to do better in the present. Lastly, allow the child to experience the natural consequences of their misbehaviour within reasonable limits. Act 4. Problem Solving Now let's look at another way that parents can manage their children by applying problem-solving skills. Joanna shares the importance of waiting for a time when the mood is right because we can't problem-solve when everyone is frustrated or angry. Here are some tools both authors write about. Number one, acknowledge your kid's feelings because he or she needs to know that you are on their side and know that you can see things from his or her point of view. Otherwise, they won't be open to co-creating solutions together. Number two, ask your child for ideas and write them all down, no matter how outrageous they are. Avoid using derogatory words when analysing ideas. Number three, discuss as one team which ideas are the best, and cross out the ones that we don't like. Number four, try out the solutions. If your child actually came up with the solution himself or herself, he or she will likely be very eager to try it out. And if it doesn't work, it's okay, you can always try new ones. Remember that an immediate solution isn't always easy to come up with. 
But going away from the problem and then coming back to it can sometimes help you find the answer and come up with solutions together. Act 5. Encouraging Autonomy In Adele's book, she emphasizes the importance of autonomy. Many times, children are in a position where they're dependent and can feel helpless, useless, bitter, upset, and angry. It is crucial then to make sure that kids can do things on their own and deal with their own problems. Here are six tips to encourage our children's autonomy. Number one, let them make choices. Number two, show respect for their struggle. Every time a person starts something new, it's hard. Telling kids that something is easy will make them feel bad when they don't do well. In case your advice doesn't work, say things like, sometimes it helps if, to give them some advice and to guide them, but without making things too hard for him or her. Number three, don't ask too many imprudent questions. Number four, don't rush to answer questions. Listening with interest will encourage children to open up spontaneously and without hesitation. The desire to question and solve children's issues is strong, but it's typically ineffective. Tell them you're willing to talk and let them decide whether or not to. Number five, encourage children to use external sources of information. Number six, don't take away hope by protecting them from disappointment. The more you try to protect your kids from disappointment, the less likely they will be able to try, dream, or hope. Even if children just talk about their dreams, they can't be happy. Act 6. Praise Moving on, the next theme is praise. Praise is very important for parents to help shape their children's self-image and self-esteem. Sadly, most parents are quick to criticize but hesitant to congratulate their children. Adele shares a good way to praise a kid is to talk about what they did and what you liked about it. Because they're appreciative, this opens the door for them to praise and appreciate themselves as well as see their own strengths and virtues. This kind of praise is a lot more work than giving one-word reviews. It takes time to really look at the outcome, think about your own feelings as a parent, and say this out loud. But it is worth it. Joanna then compliments Adele's perspective, assuring us that it's not a matter of how much praise we dole out, but the way we praise that can make the difference. Praise that judges or evaluates can create problems. It can make us focus on our weaknesses rather than our strengths, and make us doubt the sincerity of the person offering the praise. So how do we get better at praise? Here's a helpful framework of what you can describe. Number one, describe what you can see. Instead of evaluating what you see, simply describe. You can ask questions or start a conversation to begin with. Number two, describe the effect on others. Number three, describe the effort. Avoid stating that he or she is gifted or talented. Children who are told that they are smart and talented often fall apart when they encounter their first real challenge. Instead, children whose efforts have been described are more enthusiastic about taking on a more challenging task. Number four, describe progress. It can be used even when things aren't going particularly well by pointing out what has been achieved so far. Focus first on positive things before mentioning the negative and avoid criticism because it can be discouraging. 
Act 7. Freeing Children from Playing Roles Next, Adele writes a chapter on freeing children from playing roles. What does this mean? Parents make big mistakes when they make assumptions about their kids' abilities, personalities, and futures. Humans are all able to change. Calling children bratty, for example, is what makes their belief and reality stronger. Here's how we can free our children from playing roles. See if you can find ways to show them a different picture of themselves. Put them in a scenario in which they can see themselves in a different way and let them listen while you say something good about them. You can also model the kind of behaviour you want to see and remind them of good times. Now when they act the way they used to, say how you feel and what you expect. We ourselves, as parents, have a lot of room for growth and change, so we should not cast our children in these fixed roles too. Act 8. When our child is suffering with autism or sensory issues. In this final act, we talk about tools to work with children when they have autism or sensory issues. All the advice earlier has been proven effective for the majority of children, but what happens when they need more special attention? Luckily, Joanna provides a whole chapter on this topic in her book. Many children who are different have outsized reactions to ordinary, everyday experiences. Joanna states that before we can hope to acknowledge feelings, engage in cooperation or solve problems, it is extremely important to connect. She provides us with some tools to achieve this. Number 1. Join them in their world. Get down to their level and join them instead of trying to get them to stop or intervene. Number 2. Take some time to imagine what the child might be experiencing. Kids on the autism spectrum can be insistent on routines and sameness in a way that completely baffles us. But take some time to imagine what he or she is experiencing by imagining a situation that will put ourselves in a similar state. Number 3. Put into words what kids want to say. Some kids on the spectrum acquire language much later, so that's why they might have trouble expressing themselves. It is important to put into words what we think the child wants to say, regardless of whether we can provide it or not. In that way, the child will feel understood and heard. Step 4. Adjust expectations. Your child may not be developmentally ready to meet our expectations, so when this happens, it's better to manage the environment instead of the child. Number 5. Use alternatives to the spoken word. Write a note, use a gesture, draw a picture, or sing. Kids who are wired differently often have more difficulty making sense of what we say to them, in the words of Joanna. So they will benefit from multiple ways of processing information. Number 6. Tell them what they can do instead of what they can't. Children who are on the autism spectrum tend to interpret words literally, which can lead to misunderstandings. The next time you need to stop your child, try redirecting him instead by telling them what they can do. Number 7. Be playful. Kids on the spectrum may take longer time to develop imaginative play, but it's as important to develop their sense of play and fun in them. By following these tools, a child that is wired differently can feel heard and understood by their parents and as a result, improve the bond and communication. To conclude, 
Adele and Joanna have shared a wealth of tools to help us have better communication and healthier relationships with our children. Hopefully, you have gained more knowledge and awareness necessary to build compassionate and non-confrontational dialogue with our children. While the road to getting through to our children can be frustrating, everything will be worth it in the end when our bonds with our children strengthens. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tsingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.